0: Hey everybody, thanks for stopping by. I'm Eric Johnson, and this is the Burly Flow Podcast. I've been at this for a while now, and I haven't really done anything with social media. Nothing with Facebook, and only a little with Instagram. But that's about to change. So if you haven't already, look for the Burley Flow social pages. You can find the links at burleyflow.com. There you'll be able to keep up with the latest happenings, wanders, and even the occasional selfie. It'll be fun and a little extra southwest Wisconsin between episodes. My life isn't necessarily exciting, but I do get to wander about in a way most people don't. So sign up and come along for the ride. And now... Let's get to this week's story. Now that I have Natasha, my Subaru, and can comfortably carry four other people just about anywhere at a moment's notice, I find myself in a place where I can pretty much walk anywhere I need to go. I'm not sure if that's ironic or just par for the course, but whatever it is, it's a far cry from what it was like in Georgia, where a car was required to go just about anywhere if we're talking summer, even across the street. That made things particularly dicey for me when we had a team lunch at work. Individual lunches were fine. There's a certain understanding that comes with choosing to leave campus with another person, an implied agreement to accept whatever little quirks and idiosyncrasies you might have. It's not like a date, but kind of. But a team lunch is different. A team lunch requires carpooling, and that was all kinds of complicated, at least for me, and for those who ended up riding in my car. At the time, I drove a 12-year-old Dodge Caliber with 218,000 miles on it. It started out maroon and finished up a kind of scabbish red. Not fresh scab, but crusty scab. You know, about the time it starts itching. Neglected would be a good word to characterize my car, though surprising might be up there, too. Probably more illustrative would be the words that were never used, the ones people politely kept to themselves. It was a car that seemed to require, maybe even demand, politeness. It just didn't seem to correspond to where I was supposed to be in life. And that was just the outside. It was the inside that was the embarrassing part, at least when it came to team lunches. Because I might could clean out the passenger seat to accommodate one person. But let's face it, all that, the newspapers and soda bottles and receipts and candy wrappers, that was all just going to end up in the footwells of the back seat. And for a group lunch where I had to drive, all that was going to have to go into the backpack. And that kind of scooping took time I didn't have when we all headed out to the parking lot together. Of course, only an idiot would invite a group along when you were in no position to accommodate them. And in my defense, I didn't. What started out as an individual lunch picked up steam and people as we headed out the door. Sure, you can come along. Eric's driving. I'm going to run ahead, I said, trying to pull away from the crowd anxious to lose them at the crossing light and buy myself a little time. You know, just to make sure there's not an umbrella or something in the back. You'd think such embarrassment would have led to some behavior modifications, since there was always a group lunch somewhere in the future. But no. That's apparently one of the more pronounced flaws in my psyche, a need to live on the razor's edge of humiliation. Of course, I told myself it was only temporary, that I'd straighten up and fly right once I got a new car. And that didn't completely feel like a lie. There's nothing like a monthly payment to remind you of a thing's value. And while there's nothing you can do about the -the off-the-lot depreciation, that other depreciation is completely within your control. The problem right then was knowing what kind of car I wanted. A car lot is a battlefield of paralyzing choice. That study about the spaghetti sauce... The one that found there were so many options that people were just giving up and making sloppy joes instead? That's got nothing on cars. And that's just one lot. Have you ever really noticed how many car lots there are? How many well-lit acres are devoted to selling these things? If only knowing what kind of car you wanted were as simple as knowing what kind of drinker you are. Of course, that's only simple because of Conrad Bilge. In Burley Flow, everyone ends up at the Bilge at one time or another. It's the most ecumenical of the town's five bars, and it's also the most centrally located. Because everybody ends up there, everybody in town knows what they should be drinking, because Conrad Bilge tells them as much, usually by way of introduction, always with offhand certainty. So you'll be a whiskey drinker then, he'll say, approaching a stranger at the bar. Actually, I'm more of a gin guy, the fellow might respond. No, Conrad will contradict after a moment or two of additional scrutiny. It's whiskey. At that, most folks back down and order a beer, because beer doesn't count as far as Conrad's concerned, but he never forgets. That stranger at the bar? Maybe he's a fisherman staying at Laddie's Landing, or maybe he's Gladys Petersmith's nephew from Cudahy. The pharmacist, mind you, not the machinist, because we all know what he drinks. If he comes back, Conrad will ask him if he takes his whiskey neat. It's uncanny, you'll hear the mismatched drinker say later. He's like an elephant. He never forgets. Once he makes up his mind, there's no changing it. That's who you are. Whether or not you think that's who you are is beside the point. Me, he got right. Eventually. Now, I'm mostly a scotch drinker, which, according to Conrad, is what I should be. When I first walked into the bilge pump after my 20 years away, he asked if I wanted a drop of water in my scotch to open it up a bit. Then he asked where I'd been. Haven't seen you for a while. But even though Conrad's always had me as a scotch drinker, for the longest time I wasn't much of anything as far as drinking was concerned. Of course, that was back when I was still innocent before joining up with the family and taking my lumps like everybody else. I like scotch because, like any alcohol, it takes me on a relaxing little field trip. But it never lets me forget it's a field trip. Unlike some of the others, tequila would be a good example. It seem anxious to convince you that the party they've taken you to is a frolicking substitute for real life, and that if you play your cards right, it could be like this every day. I never mistake these field trips for reality. Where I go is more of a walking tour in the rain. There's a lot to see and plenty to consider and explore, but front and center is the rain. It seems to me you can taste the anguish and triumph of living in every swallow. And people like that, apparently, are okay driving scabby Dodge Calibers. For others, though, Conrad's pronouncements don't match up quite as well, whatever car they might drive. But, like an ill-advised selfie, they never go away and cause any amount of consternation. Some of these folks end up bowing to a certainty and making the switch. A few even end up liking it. You know, I'd never really given much consideration to Aperol, a vodka convert told me once, but it's an amazingly versatile spirit. Others figure that if negotiating for what they want is part of the deal, they might as well just stay home. Still others just pick up and move next door to Leon's, where they can drink their brandy in peace, even if the bar stools are wobbly. <laughs> Life is just so much simpler here on the river. Sure, there are blizzards and hundred-year floods every time you turn around, but there's a certainty, too, that you're living your true self. Or you're not. But either way, at least you know. Well that's it for this week. Thanks for stopping by and when you get a chance don't forget to check out the website at burleyflow.com. There's some cool stuff there I think you'll like. Thanks again. We'll catch you later.